if you don't have a binder, there is a stack of white binders back there. Uh, I give out a lot of handouts and stuff in the class. It's a good thing to keep track of all your stuff with. Um, next thing is, since this is the start of our class this year, each year we have a, a list of ministry helpers. So I am petitioning the class for people who would be willing to serve in any of these capacities that are listed on this ministry helper sign-up sheet, which is on the back table back there. And we're asking for uh, a couple of people to work as greeters in the class, to greet new people that come to the class. A couple of uh, uh, people to work as a fellowship organizer. Two times in the course of this year, we will have a fellowship gathering with this class outside of the class here. And this fellowship organizer people work to put that together. Uh, <clears throat> then also a snack organizer. Each uh, Sunday morning for the class, we usually bring uh, refreshments and uh, the snack organizer signs people up to bring the refreshments. Okay. And then also uh, a sound person. I'm just looking for somebody who could come to the class about 10 or 15 minutes early and check the sound system to make sure it's working okay because I don't always have time to do that when I come and, and uh, everybody wants to have this stuff available on the Internet. So um, that list of people is back there on that sign-up sheet. If you're interested in helping out, please do uh, go back there and sign up for that. Okay, furthermore... There is an email sign-up sheet on the back table as well. This is for materials that I send out uh, to the whole class to kind of bolster and support the things that we're teaching, usually. Uh, and so if I don't have your email address and you would like to receive emails related to the class, please sign up your name and your email address very clearly back there on the email sign-up sheet. Okay. Everybody got that? Okay, let's see. All right. Then also, uh, we've got some, some um, materials back there that we're kind of um, encouraging for you to uh, have for further study on our study here on the gospel. Uh, there is a CD that's back there. It's a, it's a free copy of a CD by uh, Dr. D.A. Carson uh, on the topic, What is the Gospel? So if you don't have one of those CDs... Feel free to grab one, and uh, we're going to have several more of those, Lord willing, coming up in the near future, uh, which are going to kind of help us uh, explain this material that we're teaching. And uh, also, I've got three books that I'm recommending to the class. The first one is uh, C.J. Mahaney, Living the Cross-Centered Life. And the second is a book by George Ladd called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And the third is a book by R.C. Sproul called Getting the Gospel Right, okay? If you're at all interested in learning more or deeper, having a deeper understanding of the things we're teaching, I would recommend that you get these materials and that you uh, read them, study them, meditate on them, and there's a lot of good information in these materials for you to learn, okay? Everybody got that? Yep. All right. Okay. Can we move on from there? I think we can. Oh, by the way, there's some copies of the books there that you can take with you, and we have a suggested donation for each of the books listed there. If the books run out and you'd like a copy, we will order them for you. 
All you need to do is sign your name on the sign-up sheet, and we'll get you the copy of the book. Everybody got that? Okay. Praise the Lord. Shall we pray? Our God and Father, Lord, we praise you and we honor you this day. We bless your holy name and we thank you for the privilege of knowing you and knowing your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for the precious blood of Jesus which was shed for us upon the cross, even for all those who believe in his name and receive him, Lord, by repentance and faith. We thank you for your goodness to us and your mercy in washing our sins away and granting to us the perfect life of Jesus that we might be reconciled to you, God. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather in this place to freely proclaim your word. We ask that you would teach us, that you would guide us into all truth by your blessed Holy Spirit. God, that you would strengthen and encourage us in our faith, that we might be faithful gospel ministers. God, that we might make disciples of all nations as you have commanded us. Lord, that we might be zealous to share your love with a dying world. We thank you for all that you are to us. We honor and we bless you because of Jesus' holy cross. Amen. Okie doke. So, this morning we're starting in on the third section of our, um, of our series of lessons on the Savior, the cross, and the gospel. So, Last fall, we went through a series of teachings on the person of Jesus Christ, and that was the Savior section of the lesson. And, and uh, all of those materials are available on the Heritage website if you'd like to have them. The audio teachings are there and can be downloaded. All of the handouts for each of the classes are right there on the, on the uh, website next to the audio downloads, and you can gather all that material there. Then in the, in the spring, we went through the section on the work of Jesus Christ, and we focused there on the atonement and the meaning of the atonement and defining the atonement and understanding, uh, if you will, what it is that Christ did on the cross and what that means to us and how it's applied to us. And so, if you will, having talked about the Savior in the cross, now we're going to talk about the gospel. So... The Savior really was a study on the person of Jesus Christ. The cross was a study on the work of Jesus Christ. And the gospel here is a study on the message of Jesus Christ, which, if you will, we're all familiar with the gospel message. And so we want to focus in on that. We want to understand what is the gospel message that is uh, revealed and proclaimed in the Bible. And if you will... That's going to be the topic of our study, probably for at least the next 16 weeks, if, if not more. And there is an outline of that on the, on the uh, table in the back or on the table in the foyer, if you want to get an outline of the material that we're going to be covering. So with that, let's dig in here to uh, this section of it, which we'll call the Gospel Defined. The Gospel Defined. What is the Gospel? Well, the Gospel is a message. The Gospel is a message. The word gospel comes from the Greek word evangelon, which is Strong's 2098, meaning a good message, the gospel or the good news. So if you will, there's also a list of questions there that we're going to kind of be going through as we move along here. 
And that right there would probably answer the first question on your handout. This gospel is a message, or if you will, the Greek word evangelon, meaning the good news. This is where we derive our word evangel and also evangelical. Two words which are commonly used in Christianity to speak of the gospel or of being gospel believing. So when we talk about the evangel in Christianity, we're talking about the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, the good news. Okay? Or if we talk about being evangelical, the root meaning of that word means gospel believing, right? Or adhering to the gospel or the evangel. Okay? So all of that comes from this Greek word evangelon. If you are reading through your New Testament and you come across that word gospel, typically that is a direct translation of the Greek word evangelon. Okay? Well, uh, when we use the word gospel in Christianity, it takes on a very specific and defined meaning which has its origins in the Bible and more specifically in the message of the New Testament, even though the Old Testament pointed to it frequently. So what we're saying here is, when we start talking about the good news, and we're talking about that in the context of Christianity, we're talking about something that's very specifically defined in the Bible. Okay, It's not some loose term that really doesn't have any specific meanings. It's something that has very specific and defined meanings in the Bible. And um, that's uh, the the focus of our study here, is to understand what is that specific and defined meaning that we mean when we talk about the gospel in the context of Christianity. Furthermore, it has its origin in the Bible. Okay, The gospel is a biblical thing. And if you will, this is an element or an aspect of the gospel. It's biblical. What do we mean by that? We mean that the Bible is what has brought to us what the gospel is. The Bible gives us the defined meaning of what the gospel is. Okay, So it's not just something that we conjure up in our imagination about what we think God might be like. Instead, it is an objective reality that is presented to us in the word of God, in the Bible itself. Okay, It is a record of historical facts that have taken place and the subsequent calling out from the darkness God's church. Amen? And so, if you will, the gospel is biblical. So, kind of as we're going through this section on what is the gospel, I'm going to be bringing all these characteristics to your mind about what the gospel is. Okay? It's not just some very simple and clear thing necessarily. Okay? But it has many aspects to it. And so, in this sense, I'm saying... The gospel is very specific and defined, and furthermore, it is very biblical. It's something that comes from the Bible, okay? All right. So then, it is in fact the message of the good news of Jesus Christ and the free offer of salvation from sin and reconciliation to God through him. So, to define the gospel in a brief statement, it would look something like this. The message or good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ, God the Son. Okay, don't miss that. It says God the Son on purpose. It doesn't say the Son of God. Although Jesus is the Son of God in his humanity, 
He is also God the Son, right? Which we say here, he is incarnate. Jesus, in being the Son of God, is God incarnate in the flesh of a man. Amen? So understand that this is part of the gospel message. We are preaching Jesus in the gospel. Amen? Who is, if you will, God incarnate. Come to earth to fulfill God's eternal plan of salvation. The message carries within it the power to transform the sinner by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit into a child of God and grant them eternal life. It furthermore includes the proclamation of all of God's promises to mankind in Christ as well as his threatenings to those who continue in their sin and rejection of God's way of salvation provided freely through Jesus Christ. Primarily, mankind has been separated from God by willfully sinning against him, is subject to his wrath, but that mankind can be saved from God's wrath by repentance from sins and faith in Jesus Christ. This faith is defined as trusting in and relying upon the person and work of Jesus Christ alone, receiving him as both Savior and Lord. It also announces the kingdom of God. Come to the earth now under the rule of the King, Jesus Christ, and that he will soon return to the earth to destroy sin and evil forever, and renew all things in creation to God's intended state of glory. Secondarily, that this gospel message is to be preached among the nations so that mankind can be saved from sin and death and reconciled to God through adhering to it. So if you will, trying to, if you will, define the gospel in a paragraph there. Okay? But you can see how There's a lot to it. It's not necessarily just maybe the old cliches you may have heard uh, being a Christian about what the gospel is. You know, many people try to reduce the gospel, and we all do this probably in some uh, way or in some degree, right? We reduce the gospel to be, you know, a one-liner. You know, well, God loves you, or, or, you know, Jesus died for you, or, you know, we make all kinds of, of, if you will, one-liners to try to define the gospel. And, and those are good. Those are all elements of the gospel. Amen? However, we want to be careful not to do what we call reductionism. Okay? And reduce it down to only some specific thing when really it is something much more than only some specific thing. Are you with me? And this is why it's important for us Christians to really know and understand the gospel well. Because the gospel is complete and it's multifaceted. It's more than just some simple reduction of a, of a given line, okay? It's much more than that. So let's talk about what is it? What, what is it if it's more than just a simple one-liner, then what is it? Okay, well, first off, let's understand it as a simple one-liner, okay? Let's kind of get the basic gospel facts in their core elements together so that we can kind of understand what that central, essential element is, and then from there, let's broaden our understanding of what it is, okay? So, and I think this is a question on your handout there, the message of the gospel is at its core rather simple. 
And yet at the same time, as many complex elements and nuances that are very important to understand. Okay? So it's not just simple, it's also complex. And I want to say it's both at the same time. The gospel is very simple. However, it is also complex. Okay? If you will, like many things in the Word of God, there's a paradox there. It's simple and yet complex. Okay? So then, the gospel is simple. When we consider the basic elements of the gospel, it is really rather simple. Ninemarks.org has classified them in these four basic categories. I, I choose their little system, if you will, because I think it's real clear and concise and really simple, okay? Lots of different guys have tried to define the basic elements of the gospel in lots of different ways, um, but there, there are, if you will, some basic core essential elements of the gospel. I think this is a good display of them, okay? So the idea here is God, man, Christ, response, okay? They have these four basic categories, the gospel is a message about God. It is a message about the one true and living God and his claim on our lives as our sovereign creator and our righteous judge. Okay? So we can't just reduce the gospel to Jesus Christ died for sins. Because, you see, sins are committed against the holy God. Right? And not just that, that same holy God is our righteous judge. Amen? And so, in presenting Christ as a sacrifice for sin, we must understand what sin is. Okay? And if you will, that presents the foundation of the one true and living God, who is in fact our creator and our judge. Amen? So the gospel is proclaiming God. It's proclaiming God as a creator, and it's proclaiming God as a judge, a righteous judge. A judge who has absolute moral perfection in his own being and expects that of his creatures. Amen? Well, <clears throat> the gospel is a message about man. That man was created by God in God's image to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But man sinned against God by disobeying his holy law. Man, therefore, separated himself from God's holy and satisfying presence and incurred his wrathful displeasure. Okay, so the gospel is a message about God and about man. And that man has fallen into sin. Although God created man originally good, man willfully sinned against God and separated himself from God. Amen? So then and therefore, the gospel is a message about Christ and that Christ's death was the substitute payment for the penalty that we deserved for our sin. His death is God's only provision for the forgiveness of man's sin and the appeasement of God's wrath against him. Notice the words substitute and appeasement. Reminds you about our study on the atonement? Those things are very important to understand. 
Furthermore, this last sentence about Christ, his life, his life provides a perfect righteousness for us in the sight of God. Are you with me? Yeah. You remember that those words, for us? Anybody remember the term we used to describe that in the atonement? It's vicarious. So whenever you read that Christ's substitution atonement was vicarious, it means it's for us. It's in our stead, in our place. Amen? Okay, and so then the gospel is a message about how Christ is that substitute and he is a real appeasement of the wrath of God and that his life, if you will, becomes our very righteousness. Amen? What glorious freedom. Well, then lastly, the gospel is a message that calls us to respond. Okay? It's not just some facts about who God is, who man is, and who Jesus is, but the gospel is demanding of us a response, a willful response on our part. Amen? And so we are called to respond to this good news in repentance and belief. Okay? The Bible also defines how we are to respond. Okay? The gospel is calling us to repentance. The gospel is calling us to faith. It's calling us to trust in the Lord Jesus. It's calling us to turn away from our sins and to trust in the Lord Jesus. Amen? And this is the biblical response to the gospel message. Turning away from our sin and self-sufficiency toward God and trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ as the substitute penalty that we deserved for our sin. Okay? In these basic elements, the gospel is rather simple. Okay? God, man, Christ, response. In those basic elements, it's rather simple. Okay? Look, we're in big trouble. <laughs> if you haven't figured that out, look around. Right? The world is in tremendous turmoil. Sin and suffering abound. Amen? And for all of it, we wind up in the grave, dead, dying, decaying, destruction. You understand? These are all the consequences of sin. The gospel is a message about freedom from sin. It's a message not about dying. It's a message about living. Amen? Like our God, He's a living God. Amen? And the gospel is the way, friends, to eternal life. It is a way to be rescued from sin and death. Amen? So then, in its basic elements, it's rather simple. So, how about in one sentence? In one sentence, man has been separated from God because of his sin, and Christ is God's provision to atone for man's sin, and man can simply receive God's provision through repentance and faith. Okay? So when you think about the gospel, the most essential element that you ought to be thinking about is this, if you will, God, man, Christ, response. Okay? That encompasses the basic essential elements of the gospel right there. 
This is the good news about Jesus Christ that historic Christianity has always proclaimed, and this is the essential message that we still proclaim today. The message is timeless and not subject to modernity or culture or any other influence that would change its meaning until Christ returns in power to establish his kingdom physically upon the earth. Okay? Here's what we're saying. The gospel isn't subject to anything. It does not change based on the culture you live in. Right? It does not change based on the time that you find yourself in, in history. The same gospel that saved people in 400 A.D. is the same gospel that saves people in the 21st century. Amen? Amen? Are you with me? Okay. So then, at the same time, the gospel is complex. The gospel is complex. Although the essential message of the gospel is rather simple, it has many details and related matters that cause it to blossom and bloom into a very complex and beautiful saga of immense proportions. In fact, the gospel is the central theme in history and the crowning achievement of God's work in creation. Now listen to what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that the gospel is the central theme in history, period, as I've told you many times. God created the world so that there could be a cross on Calvary, so that the Lamb of God could die there and redeem you, his elect church, from sin and darkness and death so that you could glorify Him all the days of eternity. Amen? We call that redemption. And so history becomes the history of redemption. It's the history of God's redeeming purposes. Let me tell you, the reason you have ground to walk on is so that Jesus, the Lamb of God, could die on the cross. The reason that you exist in the world is primarily about your relationship to God, whether or not you will freely receive the salvation He offers or reject Him. And in freely receiving, be united with Him forever in glory, or in freely rejecting, winding up in hell forever separated from His presence. In darkness, outer darkness, says the Lord Jesus, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. That's what life is all about, family. It's all about God and man and how we respond to God. Amen? Well, this is the central theme in all of history. You know, the, the lords of the world like to make their little puppet show what's big in the news. Let me tell you what's big in the news. The cross. The cross is what's big in the news. Make no mistake about it. Amen? So I'm telling you, it is the central theme in the history of, of the world, in the history of mankind. 
The creation was created so that the gospel story could be accomplished by God. And this is what we call redemptive history. The entire Bible is devoted to revealing this gospel to us as the central focus of all of history of mankind, both now and forever. Here's what I'm telling you. The entire Bible is written for this purpose, to reveal the gospel to you. That's why it is written. It is written to reveal the glorious Lamb of God. It is written to reveal the glorious love of God played out at Calvary. Amen? Are you with me? That's why the Bible was written. The volume of the book is written of Jesus. Amen? And his passion, family, is the central focus of the whole story. Amen? Okay, then. In fact, heaven is now and will be filled with the high praises of the Lamb of God for his very loving and gracious sacrifice at Calvary. You know, there in the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, we get a little glimpse of what's going on in heaven. Amen? Let me read it for you. Here now is a reading of the word of the Lord. Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked, And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. Heaven is filled with the high praises of God and of His Christ. Amen? And let me tell you, it's going to be a party going on for a long time. And it ain't going to be a party like we call a party. Let me tell you, it's going to be done right in the presence of divine majesty. Amen? Well, therefore... The essential message of the gospel is simple and clear, but the ramifications behind what it is proclaiming is complex and involved in a very awesome way. For example, I want to talk to you a little bit about the complexities of the gospel and give you a few examples. So, for example, the gospel confers on us a king and a kingdom which has now broken into time and space in a certain spiritual way 
but has not yet reached its fulfillment. Jesus reigns as king from the right hand of God and is awaiting his enemies to be put under his feet. The Lamb of God has come and given his life as a sacrifice for sins to offer us forgiveness, and he calls us to willingly repent and follow him. But this same Jesus, the suffering Lamb, is also portrayed in the Bible as the Lion of Judah, who is a soon-coming king, who is coming to conquer and take his kingdom by force and warns all who do not obey him willingly that rejection of his kingship will result in the worst possible consequences of all, eternal damnation. Would somebody do me a favor and look up John chapter 3, verse 36? Somebody who could read that nice and loud for the class? John 3, 36. And then also, somebody else, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. You got that one? Luann? Okay, so here's what we're saying. We're saying that the gospel proclaims and confers on us a king and a kingdom. So that when we preach the gospel, we are calling people to willingly subject themselves to the king of the universe who is King Jesus. And that he is a Lord and not just a savior. Amen? That he is to be obeyed, that his commandments are to be upheld by our willing submission to them. Are you with me? Furthermore, we're proclaiming that his kingship is universal, that he's calling all men and all nations to this willing submission to his lordship. Are you with me? It's not just about a bleeding lamb. Let me tell you, it's about a conquering king. Amen? We cannot reduce the gospel to only a bleeding lamb because the suffering servant is also a conquering king. Are you with me? For instance, John 3.36. Want to read that for us? He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Okay. So in, in one word, the Bible is calling us to simply believe, and in that it is saying that we must obey. Amen? Because he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. The gospel is calling us to obedience. Are you with me? So we, we cannot just reduce the gospel to Jesus being the Savior, because he is in fact the Lord. With, who has given us high and holy commandments which are to be obeyed. And if we do not obey the Son, we shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on us. The gospel is calling us to obedience. Amen? You with me? So we have to be careful not to be reducing it to one thing or the other, if you will. It is very important to understand all these facets of the gospel. So if you're a evangelical or a gospel-believing Christian, then you have a king. Amen? And you have willingly subjected yourself to his kingship. Are you with me? The Bible is filled with warnings against rejecting the lordship and obedience to Jesus Christ. Let's read another one. 2 Thessalonians 1. And to grant relief 
to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in, in a flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Okay, so there Paul is giving a little brief synopsis, if you will, of the gospel that he had preached to the Thessalonians. And there he says that the Lord Jesus is coming in blazing fire with all of his angels to render vengeance upon all those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. Okay? You with me? And so, if you will, the gospel is calling us to this obedience. And then the strictest of all warnings and threatenings is implied right there. When Paul tells us that if you do not know God and you do not obey the gospel, you shall be shut out from his presence with eternal destruction. Family, there could not be more severe words spoken with language than that. The gospel is a warning of highest proportions. Are you with me? And us Christians are the ones carrying the gospel around. Therefore, we cannot just reduce it to God loves you and Jesus died for you. Although those are the most glorious and precious truths in the gospel, amen? That's only part of the message. Because the gospel in and of itself is a call to obedience and a warning against disobedience. Are you with me? Serious matter. Serious matter. God help us to be able to articulate this to people. Would you agree? It's a serious matter. Jesus is a king. He has brought a kingdom. Okay? Now, I want to tell you a little bit more. It gets a little deeper. It gets a little bit more complex because the kingdom has come through the suffering lamb and at the cross, I want you to hear what I'm saying here. At the cross, the kingdom was established. Sin and death were overcome forever. Okay? However... The kingdom has not yet come in its climax and fulfillment in time and space just yet. What is happening right now is the Son of God is at the right hand of God. He is freely offering to men to be saved by belief, by faith in Him. Okay? Right now, this time period we call the church age is a time period when the gospel is freely being proclaimed and men are called to willingly subject themselves to the kingship of Jesus. There is coming a time in the future when he will take the kingdom by force and establish it physically upon the earth in time and space. However, that has not yet come to pass. So, the king and the kingdom that we confer on people in the gospel is a king and a kingdom that has this is now but not yet element to it. Are you with me? We call this in the study of eschatology two-age construction. Do you remember me talking to you about that? And if you will, if you, if you read this book here by 
by George Ladd, he goes into quite a, a lengthy discourse about how the gospel is conferring on us a kingdom and, and that what the nature of that kingdom is both now and in its climax, in its fulfillment, which I believe to be the millennial kingdom upon the earth. Okay? However, even if you are a premillennialist or an amillennialist, we all agree that there is a future kingdom that is coming right, either physically upon the earth or at the resurrection, when Jesus will be king and sin and death and hell will be banished forever. Amen? And so the kingdom is going to reach these stages of fulfillment that have not yet come to pass. And so, if you will, there are these two stages of fulfillment, at least two stages of fulfillment that the gospel confers upon us. So what we're saying is, Jesus is calling you willing to repent. He's not twisting your arm or bending your ear. Yeah, my mom used to grab me by the ear. Get in here, boy! <laughs> right? He's, he's freely offered himself, and he said, Come, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Amen? And, and so, if you will, this king invites us to come freely now and willingly subject ourselves to his kingship. It will not always be this way, friends. Time is short. Time is running out and nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. Amen? So then, if you will, this gospel confers on us a king and a kingdom. And this kingdom has a now, but not yet element to it. Are you with me? Let me point you to a scripture that kind of shows this. And this is also on your handout. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and following. If you will, this is kind of an eschatological passage. It's describing the order of events taking place in the fulfillment of history. Okay? Here's what it says. Verse 22, 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Okay, now pay attention. Paul is describing the order of how people will be made alive in Christ. Okay? He says, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Okay? So look what he's saying. How were we made alive? Well, Christ was first. Right? Secondly, those who are Christ's at his coming, they will be made alive then at the resurrection. They will be glorified. Amen? Furthermore, look what he says. Then comes the end. When he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected, accepted, who put all things in subjection to him. And when all things are subjected to him, then... The Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all. Okay? What do we see there? Well, if you will, 
there's various stages of fulfillment of the kingdom that we are preaching in the gospel. Okay? Let me tell you about this. This comes from the definitive passage in the New Testament from Paul writing about the gospel, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You remember the first few verses? I proclaim to you as of first importance the gospel which you believed, right? That Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, right? You remember that? That whole section of 1 Corinthians 15, this is right smack dab in the middle, talking about the king and the kingdom and the stages of fulfillment that are yet to come as the kingdom finds its climax in Christ returning and abolishing all of his enemies. You with me? And so if you will, the gospel is inexplicably and inseparably tied to this king and this kingdom. You with me? So when we start asking people, people start asking us questions about the lordship of Jesus Christ and about the kingdom of God and about the promise of his return, right? We have some answers. Are you with me? Because he has given us answers. Not only that, these are, these are elements which we find the apostles preaching in their discourse about the gospel and not just Paul. But all of the apostles give us this eschatological perspective of the gospel. So if you will, here's another aspect or here's another element of the gospel. The gospel is eschatological. What do you mean by that? Well, it's according to the end of times. It's according to the end of all things. It's according to the grand scope of creation and God bringing the creation to its fulfillment by his divine providence. It's the eternal plan of redemption and the plan that God has for history being summed up in Christ. Are you with me? This kind of language, is, is the New Testament is filled with it. These eschatological ideas about Jesus the King and his kingdom. Are you with me? Okay. Notice the terms used in this passage. Order. After that. Then. When. Until. Thus, the kingdom of God has stages of fulfillment which have not yet reached their climax. All of this is conferred upon us in the gospel message because in the gospel we proclaim Jesus as king and the judge of the living and the dead. All men, or should I say, all mankind will face King Jesus in judgment at death and will be judged by him for the deeds done in the body. The gospel calls us to obedience to Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord, a Lord who rules over us as our King as well as a priest who intercedes between us and God. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? The gospel confers on us a king and a kingdom. And that king is also called in the New Testament our judge. And we are called in the gospel to a judgment. Are you hearing me? The gospel is a warning of future judgment. Family, this is the gospel we're telling people about all the time. So consider how you describe the gospel to people. 
Are you with me? Be careful not to reduce it to one simple thing. Okay? It's, it's beautifully complex in many ways. Okay? But it is also a message of warning. Consider in Acts chapter 10, verses 42 and 43, here uh, what the apostles were saying Jesus ordered them to preach. Verse 42, And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. You see here the scripture says Jesus was appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. And verse 43, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Amen? And so there you are, two little sentences where the gospel says, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. And furthermore, everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins. Amen? And so here we have a warning of judgment and release from that judgment by faith. Amen? two elements of the gospel contained in those two verses of scripture. More than that, it says here that this is what we were ordered to preach. Are you with me? So when we talk about what we preach, what we herald, how we carry this message out, right? We have these elements of the gospel that are extremely important that we communicate. Are you with me? Look at Romans 2, 5 through 6. Of course, this is Paul's section there dealing with the judgment of God. And he says this in Romans 2, verse 5, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. That's what Paul says. He says there is a day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who is going to render to every man according to his deeds. He goes on in quite a discourse there. And down in verse 16, this is what he says. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. You see, according to the gospel, the good news that Paul was preaching there was a warning of judgment of the day of wrath and the righteous revelation of the judgment of God. And Paul says there, on that day, God is going to expose the secrets of men's hearts. Sounds to me like he's quoting the very words of Jesus. Because he warned us of the same thing. Amen? He said, whatever you speak in secret, it's going to be shouted from the rooftops. Are you with me? So, it's important to understand that the gospel has this other element. It's announcing a judge. It's proclaiming a judgment that's going to come about on a certain day in the course of history. And that at that judgment, we're going to be judged according to our deeds. And the secrets of our heart are going to be revealed. Are you with me? Family, this is the gospel that the apostles were preaching. And it is the gospel that we believed if we're a part of the church. Amen? Okay. 
So then, notice how both Peter and Paul tell us that this message or gospel they are preaching contains this element of judgment to come as well as forgiveness of sins. Or another example, if you will, when, you know, part of the reason why the gospel is filled with a warning of judgment, it's, it's, it's like this, family. It's the law and the gospel, right? The law is this high and holy standard of God which has condemned us to death. And it is what? A schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Amen? So is the nature and the character of the gospel message itself. It has a warning of fierce judgment that I'm going to be judged according to my deeds. How shall I stand before a holy God when I'm judged according to my deeds? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm in big trouble. Are you with me? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Are you with me? And God is freely justifying me. Because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I prove that my faith is genuine by repenting of my sins and living a life worthy of my calling. Amen? Are you with me? Repentance and faith. That's how we receive the gospel and we receive the relief of the judgment of the holy law of God. And the schoolmaster has led me to Christ because of its high and holy warnings. Are you with me? I mean, why, why, why should people believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? What do they have to fear? Right? Don't you remember reading in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Right? Let me tell you, there's something to fear. Amen? And God has freely provided a way to be saved. Well, another example of elements in the gospel is that the gospel proclaims to us the one true and living God who is the creator of all things. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you another example. You know, the gospel is real simple, right? God, man, Christ, response, right? But then it's complex. It confers these things upon us, a king and lordship and a kingdom that that is now but has uh, not yet fully been climaxed, right? And then now we're talking about another element here. The gospel comes to us and it proclaims that there's one true and living God. You see, here's this this other element. The gospel is saying to us, there is one God, and you have offended him by your sin and been separated from his good presence. Amen? And so, if you will, Christianity is monotheistic. Christianity is monotheistic, right? The belief in one God. And there is only one God, and there is no other. This is what the Bible says over and over again, namely there in Isaiah 45, 5, and 6. This is a fundamental part of the gospel message. Hear what I'm telling you. The fact that there's one true and living God is a fundamental part of the gospel message. 
Without it, the gospel makes no sense at all. Why did Christ die? If, if there's not one true and living God who we've sinned against and incurred his wrathful displeasure, then why did Christ die? What is it all for? You understand? This is why it's paramount that people understand there is one true and living God who is going to judge them according to their deeds and reveal the secrets of their heart on the day of judgment. Therefore, they are to flee to the cross and find a refuge now. You see? And in that context, Jesus being the sacrifice which appeases the wrath of God and offers to us his perfect life of obedience, which establishes our righteousness before God, the gospel makes perfect sense. Because now through Christ, we've been reconciled to God by his merit, by what he's done on the cross for us. Amen? So, it's important to understand. These, these elements are very important. People have to understand that there's a God. For instance, Acts 14, uh, verses 14 through 16. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, okay, so they're in Lystra, and they're, they're in this pagan countryside in, in the Roman world, and they're preaching the gospel. And they're there, and Paul heals a guy, okay? <laughs> and so all of a sudden, the people can't believe this miraculous works of Paul. Here's where the story picks up. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed into the crowd, crying out and saying, see, the people were wanting to make them into a god. Here's Paul and Barnabas, the gods have visited us. Right? When they heard that, they ran into the midst of this pagan crowd, and here's what they said. Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You see, those people didn't have in their worldview an understanding of a monotheistic God. The gods to them were, well, you're familiar with Greek mythology, right? If you went to the, a pagan American school like I did... <laughs> Right? And so they have a whole pantheon of gods. Right? They're polytheistic in their worldview. So Paul, here's Paul trying to preach the gospel to them. The gospel's being delivered in power. People are being healed. And he's got to go and correct them all before they start uh, engaging in idolatry and worshiping them. Right? So he's saying, wait, time out, time out. There's one true and living God. He's the creator of everything that exists. You see, he had to correct their thinking so that the gospel had a context to fit into their mind. Are you with me? Acts 17. Paul is in Athens. He's on the Areopagus. He's looking around. He sees an altar to the unknown God. He says, I'm going to proclaim this unknown God to you. Verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. 
For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. So, you know, here's Paul. He's going to proclaim the unknown God to these polytheistic guys in Athens. And what's the first thing he says? He says there's one God in heaven who created everything. He's self-existent. He's imminent, right? He's omnipotent. He's providential in governing the nations of mankind. In fact, he gives everybody life and breath and everything else. He tells them exactly who God is before he presents the essential gospel message to them, which he goes on to do in verses 29 through 31. And he tells them, God's appointed a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness through the man he has appointed. And he has proven this by raising him from the dead. Right? You see, Paul had to lay that foundation in their worldview, in their understanding of one true and living God before the gospel had a context that made sense to them. Are you with me? Okay. So hear me out on this. It was important when Paul was preaching to the pagan polytheistic people in Lystra and in Athens for him to lay the foundation of monotheism before he could proclaim the entire gospel to them. This is not unlike the pagan pluralistic culture we find ourselves in here in modern, I'm sorry, postmodern America. You see, the worldview of many people in our culture is very similar. They don't have a context of one true and living God. Okay, now some people do. But by and large, postmodern Americans give God very little thought. Or if they do, it's a God of their own imagining. Amen? Instead, they've enthroned themselves. Many people do not have a monotheistic worldview. So we must lay that foundation in their understanding so as to make sense out of God, man, Christ response. Okay? They need to understand who God is so that the gospel has a context. These things show us how the gospel is also a complex message made up of many different elements that all work together to display the glory of God and his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul and the other apostles were preaching the full gospel, which included all of God's manifold blessings, threatenings, and promises as he brings the creation to its ultimate fulfillment when his kingdom is established and all his enemies, including death, are destroyed and forever removed and all things are made new. Okay? So, what's my point? My point here is that the gospel is also a complex and multifaceted message that has all of these little doctrinal nuances that support it. You follow me? It is those doctrinal nuances that we Christians as gospel ministers need to be able to articulate to people in this postmodern culture if we want to see people saved so that we can communicate accurately the gospel. Are you with me? If we don't understand these things, folks, we cannot communicate them. Are you with me? And every one of us has a responsibility to testify to the goodness of God that we've experienced in our life and to do what he told us to go out and make disciples of all nations. Are you with me? Or in another place, preach the gospel to every creature under heaven. Amen? 
So now when you think about the gospel, I hope I got your wheels turning about what exactly that means. Okay? And in the coming weeks, we'll try to get a better grasp on it. Shall we pray? God, our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, God, that you would send your son Jesus to die in our place. What an immense privilege we have. And we thank you for your love. God, we are thrilled about all the good things you're doing in our life. Lord, even the blessed Holy Spirit whom you have given to live inside of us. God, we are thrilled at all of the things he is accomplishing in our life as he fashions us in the image of Jesus. And God, how we want to be like Jesus. So help us, God. We pray. Encourage us in our faith. Strengthen us in our faith. Console us, dear Father, in our suffering. And Lord, may we truly believe that you're working all things together for our good. Lord, may we go out and tell others about your goodness. Help us. Give us understanding, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.